Well, good theme about the revivals again, and when we look at this last parable here in Matthew 13 with this kingdom emphasis, it uh, might uh, spark in us the uh, same thought about uh, a sense of revival. We come to the last parable. We've looked at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when his uh, inaugural address was about the kingdom of heaven is near and causes us to repent. And then we've looked at these kingdom parables in Matthew with the implications for us. Today, we come to look at the last parable. And it's called the parable of the, the dragnet or simply the net. And not surprisingly, uh, Jesus is doing two things. Uh, he's talking about judgment because he's coming to the end of this teaching about the kingdom. And there's got to be a sense of judgment from all, all he's talked about. And the other thing is that once again in the parable, he's taking something from everyday life that the guys in the group who were fishermen and everybody else who would see uh, the act of fishermen would recognize when he talks about uh, this net that would be used. So here we come to talk about the kingdom implication for today about kingdom judgment. Now you follow along either on the screen or in your Bible or on your phone app, however you uh, follow along in the reading of the scripture. But we're in Matthew 13 Uh, Beginning in verse 47. Jesus says, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus looks at the disciples and he asks them, have you understood all these things? And they said, yes. Now, the implication today from this kingdom parable is that there will be a day of judgment for everyone. There will be a day of judgment for everyone. No one will escape that. The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Now when we look at what Jesus is teaching us here in this kingdom parable about judgment and kingdom judgment, this is not a theology about the, the order in which things will take place. You go like to Revelation 20 and you will see that there are two times of judgments. That the judgment at the great white throne is near the end of times, and that's when the unsaved are judged and they're cast into the lake of fire. There's a time earlier than that when the church, us as believers, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema, which simply means the judgment seat, and we'll be judged based upon our works as to what we've done. But what Jesus is simply wanting to teach without getting into the differences about the different theological interpretations about judgment and the end of the times, eschatological events, he's just simply saying there will be a day of judgment for everyone. And he uses a great analogy. It's a parable. And we talked about a parable. Take something from everyday life that's thrown into the course of living. And he talked about a fishing net. They weren't fishing back in that day with a, with a hook and a line. But even back then as they do today, and I think we got pictures of it up here, um, they, they had a net that they would cast. It's got a replica boat of what it would have been like back in that day. The only thing different today is the boats uh, are motorized. But they'll still do the same thing. They'll go out on the Sea of Galilee, and they will cast this big net, and then they'll start pulling it towards the other side. And you can imagine what it does. It gathers all the fish that are in the way. 
And then what happens is that when they get onto the shore, then they start separating the fish. The good fish they put in one pile and they're to be sold and the fish to be eaten and, and used for good purposes. And the other garbage fish, and they're either thrown away or they'll burn. Now, that leads us then, as we're talking about judgment, to some observations uh, about kingdom judgment from this fishing net and a lake and a fish. The first is this. All people will be brought to judgment one day. Nobody's going to escape it. All people will be brought to judgment one day. And, and, and the drag net or the net simply is a reminder of that. When they drag it across the lake, all kinds of fish are caught in it. And then there comes a time of separating that when they get on the beach. And to remind to us that every person will come and stand before holy God in judgment one day. Now, maybe you can identify, those of you who drive, been driving for a while, maybe you can identify with this. Um, you know how we tend to ignore the speed limit, but we go with the flow of traffic as, that, as if that's the law and we're safe, right? So if the traffic is going along about 75, 77 miles an hour and the speed limit says 70, what do we do? Most of the people put the cruise on 77 and we just go right along with the flow. Has it ever happened to you? That you've been picked out and you have been pulled in the midst of all of that? Well, one guy was that I read about. And the officer came, pulled him over, wrote him the ticket for speeding. And uh, when he went to walk away after he gotten the guy's signature, the, the, the driver finally said, I, I got to ask you, officer. I, I admit, I was speeding. But said, so was everybody else. I was just going with the flow of traffic. How come I'm the only one that was caught? And the patrolman looked at him and asked him a question. He said, have you ever been fishing? And the guy says, well, kind of strange question, but yeah, I go fishing occasionally. And the patrolman then asked him, do you ever catch all the fish? <laughs> there was a reminder to us. No one escapes the judgment. One day, everybody will be caught and judged. Second observation, there will be a separation process. When the fish are taken up on shore, they're separated between those that are good and useful and those that are, that are, that are not, garbage fish. And they go to one of two different places. That's the third observation, that the saved will be assigned a place for eternity in heaven a marvelous, wonderful place God has prepared for his people. It, de it, it just defies description and beyond our imagination. But the unsaved, the unbelievers, the self-centered, self-deceived people, those who are lost, those who curse God, those who never had anything to do with God, they receive a place in hell for all eternity where they will receive punishment for all eternity because of all of their rejections about what God has done for them. That's the kingdom judgment that Jesus is talking about. I kind of imagine that when he makes this, this story plain to them, this parable, the disciples kind of maybe have to be kind of just awestruck, like they just got a glazed over look in their eyes. And so Jesus asked them, you understand all of this? Now I believe everything that's in the Bible, and I believe it's true, 
I'm not quite sure if all these disciples were telling the truth when they said, yes, we understand. And they, they kind of, mm, um, yeah, kind of nodded. Yeah, we, we get it. We understand. So I want to ask you this morning a very pointed question. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Do you really understand the teaching about this judgment that will come? Do you really understand about what Jesus is teaching in this parable about life eternal, either in heaven or in hell? Do you understand that? Can I see your heads nodding? Get a little holy nod, you understand that, okay? See, the Bible has a whole lot to say about hell, and this is what we're focusing on today. This is the judgment, because Jesus really focused on this in this parable. And Jesus thought, I think, more about hell than he did about heaven. I think the reason is because he wanted nobody to go there. And we are warned all the way through the scripture about the reality of hell and the consequences of God's justice on us if we reject his love and his offer of forgiveness. A few weeks ago in the parable of the seed and the weeds, we, we heard that very clearly. Jesus said, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and they who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, the Bible uses strong, frightening language and mental pictures to communicate what hell is really like. And basically, when we look at the harsh reality of hell, the Bible gives us four different types of suffering in hell. So there's just basically one point to this parable. You know, there's the difference between a parable and an allegory. An allegory has got all kinds of meanings by all the different things that are in that allegory. The parable only has one main teaching. This one has one main point, and it's the harsh reality of hell. And the harsh reality of hell is there are at least four types of, of anguish that the Bible describes that people in hell experience. The first one is emotional anguish. One of the most common words in the Bible used to describe hell is the word Gehenna. And it literally means the garbage dump. And outside of Jerusalem in a little valley there was Gehenna, the garbage dump. And every day all the garbage was taken out there and it had been burned at one point, set on fire. And it continued to burn. It continued to smolder and smoke. And every time that there was a load of trash taken out there, it was just piled on top of all that. And it continued to smolder and it continued to smoke. And the Bible says that is an illustration of what hell is going to be like. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there was that smoldering, burning agony of hell. And the Bible teaches us that the unbelievers who spend eternity in hell will wake up to the sad reality that God has thrown them there because he counts them as nothing but rubbish, nothing worthy to keep. But they are deemed worthless, irredeemable, and fit for no good purpose. You see, part of the agony that will be in hell for all eternity is to realize that because you ignored God's warnings and rejected his love, God has judged you as worthless as trash. 
And when you bundle up your trash to take it out to the kitchen trash can is full from all the, you know, the cooking and all the, the cans and bottles and jars and all the stuff that's in there and food residue and all that. You don't anguish over taking that out and putting it in the green can, do you? I mean, you don't have a sentimental attachment to that garbage, do you? If you got to carry it out, you might not want to do it, but you don't have a sentimental attachment to it. Well, that's the same thing it is with people who have rejected God and spurned him in every way. God just counts them as refuge to be thrown into the Gehenna, the burning fire. And the Bible once again says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, we know what the weeping and wailing is. That's people crying out. The gnashing of teeth, what is that? I'm reminded of a a street evangelist who was preaching one day in a downtown uh, area, and and he was preaching on hell. And he talked about one day you're going to wake up to the weeping and wailing and, and gnashing of teeth in hell. And this woman cried out, and she said, I ain't got no teeth. And the guy says, lady in hell, teeth will be provided. I've looked through the Bible. I haven't found that. I, you know, but that was a quick, that was a short, smart answer, wasn't it, right there, thinking about that. Teeth will be provided. Well, so what is this gnashing of teeth? You ever had to sleep in the same room with someone who grinds or grits their teeth at night? Oh, that's the most awful sound. It's worse than fingernails going down a blackboard, chalkboard in it. I had a roommate in college who did that. I woke up the first night and I thought, what is that noise? So between my snoring and his gritting and grinding his teeth, we had to part ways. Nobody was getting any sleep. But, but the, the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth really refers to the simple fact that there in hell, you experience the emotional anguish or the regret of the past. And there's that gnashing of teeth when it's like that, ah, I had that opportunity and I missed it. Like in the Super Bowl last week, third quarter, Atlanta Falcons had a 28-3 lead, and they blew the game. And do you realize, if you're a sports fan, they only ran the ball five plays after they had a 28-3 lead? Shanahan, the uh, offensive coordinator, left to go to be head coach at the 49ers. They said they gave him time to grieve before he had to report for duty. You know, there was a, they, they had to grieve because of the missed opportunities that were there. Uh, that's another story. But the emotional anguish in hell is going to be over the simple fact that you heard the message, you responded to it without any belief. In fact, you just kind of wrote God off. And so the result is going to be for all eternity, there will be that saying, I blew it. I blew it. I could have gone to heaven instead of hell. It's awful here, and I blew it. Why didn't I listen? That's the gnashing of teeth. The second anguish is physical anguish. In Luke 16, in another story that Jesus tells about Lazarus and the rich man, he talks about hell, and he talks about the physical anguish that's there. And, and it's taught in many other places. But we constantly hear hell described as a place of flames and fire and a furnace that is relentlessly suffocating and tormenting in heat. If you remember the parable where Jesus told that about Lazarus and the rich man, that Lazarus went to heaven and the rich man went to hell and he was in such agony, what did he ask for Lazarus to be able to do? Just bring a drop of water to put on his parched tongue. He wanted relief from his agony. 
And the Bible says that the type of unrelieved physical anguish that, that, that he experienced is what everybody in hell will experience day and night and day and night forever and ever. Think about the worst pain you have ever experienced in your life with back pain. Oh, you got back pain, disc problems, all of that. That's excruciating pain in it. A toothache. Boy, that can about kill you. How about a kidney stone? You had a kidney stone. That's, a, that's painful, isn't it? It's similar to labor and childbirth, right, ladies? And men, if you've ever had a kidney stone, you know something about what women experience in the pain of labor and childbirth. And what about a migraine headache? They're killers, aren't they? And there might be other things that you've had that was pain that you thought would never end or that you would die from that pain. That kind of pain is going to go on for all eternity. People in hell suffer anguish. That's literally what you find in hell. Then there's relational anguish. In other words, there's not going to be any fun in hell. I've heard people say, well, you know, all my friends are going to hell. They're waiting for me. That's where I need to go because I'm going to have a whole lot more fun down there. And somehow they think about all the sinful things, like gathering around a bar or wherever here and having all the fun that you're going to have here in this world, that you're going to get to do that in hell. No, there's no fun in hell. There's no fun in hell. When you're isolated because of your pain and you're in such physical agony that you can barely stand yourself and you're in that uh, uh, emotional agony when you're just having the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, you're not going to have time. You're not going to have any desire to have any kind of gathering with anybody else. You're not going to have a party. You're not going to have fun. You're going to be separated from everybody else. There's relational anguish in the fact that you're going to suffer alone in hell. Everybody else is suffering, but you're going to suffer alone, separate. And then that leads to the fourth one, and that is spiritual anguish. There is no presence of God in hell. And that means that none of the blessings of life that everybody gets to experience will be in hell. You see, the Bible teaches us, and we know the reality is, that it rains on the just and the unjust. Believers and unbelievers in this world today, all of us get to experience the wonderful, magnificent grace and glory of God, the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset or the, or the perfect timing of the tides and the waves and the beauty of a, of a blue sky or a starry night, all of those things that God has created and we get to see every day. And sometimes we just don't even think about them. None of those things, none of those blessings of God are going to be in hell. God's not going to be there at all. But it's only going to be utter darkness and chaos and confusion and hopelessness. And let me remind you, as I did a couple of weeks ago, God did not create hell for any human being. He created it for the devil and his demons. And there's a reminder of that in the scripture in Matthew 25, 41. That he doesn't want anybody to go there. And so he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. So that all you have to do is confess your sins and claim Christ. So why do so many people go to hell? They simply ignore God's love. 
They ignore God's uh, message of redemption and love and forgiveness. They, they reject the person and work of Jesus Christ, and they walk away from him. They turn their back on him. They don't want what God has to offer. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 29, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? So let me tell you this, if you are not saved and you're on the road to hell and you end up in hell, it's not God's fault. He loves you and he's loved you with an everlasting love. He's constantly been pursuing you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He did everything he could possibly do to keep you out of hell. If you go to hell, it's your fault and you can't blame anybody else. And once you die in this world, you are spiritually lost if you do not know Jesus Christ and there are no second chances. That's the harsh reality of hell. Now, we talked about the kingdom judgment. That's the emphasis uh, of this parable. That leads to the fact that there are three kingdom judgment implications for us today. And you need to listen very carefully. Number one, to any unbeliever gathered here today, you need a Savior. If you're still an unbeliever and you have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you need a Savior. You need to confess your sins. You need to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. Let Him be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. If not, you're on the way to hell and you will spend eternity in hell. And that's the only way to heaven. Is through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3:36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You see, God's wrath is on you right now if you have not confessed your faith in Jesus Christ. You need a Savior. You need to repent of your sins. You need to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, to those of you who are believers, you need to thank God for your salvation. You did not do anything deserving of salvation. You didn't do anything to be saved. The Bible tells us it's by grace that you're saved through faith. Through God's grace, God's grace, God's grace is the offer of salvation. All it takes is a little bit of faith to accept that. It's by grace you are saved through faith, not of your works. So God did it all. You need to thank God for your salvation. Thank him that he loved you so much he sent Jesus Christ. Thank you that when you heard the message of God's redeeming love, that it was so clear and at that precise time in your life, you were open to receive it and you received the message and you were saved. Thank God for that. Now the third implication is to the church. Church, hear me very carefully. There are people all over our community, some closer than a stone's throw from this building, who are on the road to hell right now. They need to hear about God. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. They need to hear about heaven and hell and salvation and eternal life. We need to remind ourselves that we are not a social club. We're not a country club. 
where you pay your dues and enjoy the benefits. In fact, some of you don't even pay your dues. You just get a free ride for the benefits, right? But we are a body of people belonging to God through Jesus Christ who are empowered with the message of the gospel. And we are the only people on the face of the earth who have been empowered with that message to seek to bring lost people to be reconciled with a loving God. You know people where you work, where you live, where you go to school who are lost and on the road to hell. You have some in your family. You need to tell them. You need to tell them about God and about Jesus Christ and about heaven and about hell. And what should be the motivating factor? It should be the love of Christ. And it should be their plight and their circumstance in life. Paul writes about that in 2 Corinthians 5. And he said, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. For Christ's love compels us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, that's what we as the church have been empowered to proclaim. Be reconciled to God. To a world, to a culture, to a community. That's lost and dying without Jesus Christ and on the way to hell. So the implication from the kingdom parable today is simply kingdom judgment is coming. No one will escape it. If you're a believer, you will be judged. You'll stand before the, before the, the beam of seat of Christ. And you'll be judged based on your rewards. And a lot of it would be based on what you did with the message about Jesus Christ. Who have you, who have you sought to bring into a relationship with God? What did you do with the message of Jesus Christ? What did you do with your spiritual gifts? What did you do with the opportunities God gave you in life to glorify Him, to serve Him, and to live for Him? If you're not a believer, you die in your sins and lost, your fate is ultimately sealed already. And at the final judgment, you are brought to stand before the great white throne. And that's when you find your sentences that you're cast into the fiery furnace, the lake of fire that burns forever and ever where Satan and his demons await you. And it's filled with nothing but anguish and pain and remorse and regret. To you, the church, remember... There are people out here who are on the way to hell and who need to hear about Jesus. What will you do about it? I asked you earlier as Jesus asked the disciples when he told this parable, do you understand? And they said, yes. Let me ask you again. Do you understand? Then what will you do about it? Father, we thank you that you loved us enough, even in our sin, that you sent Jesus Christ to die for us. If we embrace that offer of forgiveness and your saving love and your mercy and your grace, 
Father, we thank you and we rejoice in that and we are humbled at your love for us and what you have done for us so that we can spend eternity with you in heaven. Father, I pray for anyone here today who has not yet made that decision for Christ, but who is on the way to hell. I pray, Father, that they will not spend eternity in hell, but they will come to confess faith in Jesus Christ and come to know you as a loving Father and the forgiveness of sins. And Christ is the leader of their life and will come to spend eternity in heaven with you. And then, Father, I pray for us as a church that maybe we will see the culture around us differently as we understand, as we've said we understand this parable. And that through your urging, through the Holy Spirit, we will be more intentional to share our faith in Christ with a lost and dying world. And Father, may it all be done for your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen.